0: This episode is brought to you by the In Between Podcast, a podcast about marriage, parenting, faith, and everything in between.
1: Join us as we give you the tools to learn how to build a strong, connected, and joy filled marriage and family.
0: For more information, go to inbetween.org. That's imbetween.org.
2: This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revive Thoughts.
0: This victory we obtain by faith. Help us, I say, in discerning true faith from false faith.
1: Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history in a sermon that they delivered. Today's sermon is preached by John
2: Bradford in 1553 in London. Joel, his final words before he was burned at the stake are, "O England, England, repent. John Bradford, a man you may not have heard before, preaches today's sermon on repentance. And now this man, the people of his era, the reformers of his era, they called him the holiest person who had lived since the disciples. His reputation for holiness preceded him in everything he did. He was just known as a good guy. And yet... I think most of us would like to go down in history as that kind of person, but we don't want to do what will get us there, which is what his message is, which is repent.
1: Yeah, repentance, uh, surrendering your life to God, this idea of humility, of being completely humbled. It's always been something that mankind has struggled with throughout all time, even to this day. It's hard to be humble. It's hard to repent. And yet it is vital to our Christian walks with God. It's vital um, to grow as a Christian, and to walk with Jesus as a believer. And that was Bradford's message to London and to the palace there. Uh, he was born in England in 1510, and he dies in 1555, only living to be 45. So one of our, one our younger ones didn't live terribly long.
2: The early part of his story is not all that exciting. He has some jobs, he lives through a siege of his town, and he's working his way towards becoming a lawyer when a fellow student introduces him to this new Protestant way of viewing God. He has this life-changing experience, and in 1547, he hangs up his goal to be a lawyer and heads to Cambridge to study theology. And really, all that we know about him beforehand is what he told us. And he said that before Christ, all he really ever thought about was money, jewelry, gold, and a desire just to be wealthy and, you know, have a lot of things. And and when he came to God, he said that it just all melted away, and that was just replaced for him with just a love for God.
1: Now right before he decides to go to school for theology, he was working for this man named Sir John Harrington. And he becomes convicted because he finds out his boss has been committing fraud and making money. And he he wasn't personally involved in making money, but he did help cover it up at one point. And so he brings this news to the king. um, They basically force him to, to pay up and... Actions like these earned him the name
2: Holy Bradford. I try to imagine if you could be known for one thing in life, maybe Solomon, he's known for wisdom or maybe wealth. Or, you know, if you're King David, you're known for having a heart after God. Or if you're Paul, you're known for being zealous. Well, Bradford goes down as being known as holy. Like, he's known as just, I mean, in a way, perfect. He's a good guy. Even his enemies knew he was a good guy. There's accounts and reports of, like, the Catholic Church and the priests really trying to convince him that Catholicism is the right answer because they're like, if we can get Bradford on our side, this will be a huge win for us. He's such a well-respected guy. Now, before we just sound like this guy is just this inhumanly perfect, no one will ever be like him. He's the second coming of Christ kind of guy. I want to remind everybody that, you know, John Bradford didn't see himself this way. He spent a lot of time weeping and crying in in, in his own room. And this prayer journal is just uh, him saying, like, look at all these sins I have. Like, he saw himself. He was an average guy who repented and took that repentance seriously. And I don't think that any of these reformers, any of these people are not people we can't be like ourselves. I think it's important to remember that these are men just like us. They just took God seriously at his word.
1: Yeah, he was I mean he was very much known for being a humble guy. There's an account where he saw a, a group of men being led to their execution, letting, led to the spot where they're going to die. And he turned to his friend and he said, "There but for the grace of God goes John Bradford. You know, that that, that saying there, but for the grace of God goes I. And as, as far as we can tell, he's the first person that ever uttered that that phrase. It, it comes back to
2: him. So he goes on to graduate with a degree in theology. He gets recommended to become the chaplain to King Edward IV, and that goes great. And he gets a really good reputation for himself. He's known as really bringing the heat, one of just the top preachers they've had. Except the king dies a year later at a very young age, and that kind of stops everything good that's going for him.
1: This sermon we're looking at here today is actually the sermon he next preaches after he finds out the king has died. And he's heartbroken because the queen known as the Bloody Queen Mary takes the throne in his place, and he really views it as a step back for London. Uh, And history shows that um, she was not a great leader, and, and, and Bradford knew that.
2: So she throws him in jail for trying to stir up a riot, and he spends his time in jail with other reformers, and honestly, he seems pretty pleased with it all. He sings songs, teaches the word to other prisoners, he he spends a lot of time writing, writing books, writing letters. These things become very influential to other people in the Reformation, and I mean, he spends his time in jail as well as anyone can. And his reputation
1: as, as being someone that's holy and humble work, continued to work with him. Uh, he was allowed eventually to even go outside of the prison and, and visit people in the town as long as he returned by a certain hour, and he was never late once. One day, they came and they told him he was, he was going to be executed, and uh, it was said that he looked up to heaven and praised God and said, Finally, thank you, God. The day I've been waiting for has come.
2: They decide to execute him early in the morning. We're talking 4 a.m. middle of the night because they're worried there's going to be a big crowd. It doesn't really matter. There's a humongous crowd. Just absolutely. The streets are packed. People are crying. People are saying, we're going to miss you. We thank you. Uh, spectators say there was never a crowd like it for you know a situation like this. And... You know, he never stops preaching. Literally, as the flames are on him, he's just yelling to the crowd, narrow is the gate, repent, repent, oh, repent, repent, England, and be saved. All the way to the last breath, he just wanted to see the people of England turn from their sin and repent and know God. And this is his sermon on repentance that we have that survived.
0: and heavy is God's anger against us after the horrible and unfortunate death of our late king for when God's judgment has begun there is an especially grievous and bitter cup of God's vengeance ready to be given out for us Englishmen to drink judgment begins at God's house in God's mercy towards the king he is taking away that his eyes should not see the miseries which we feel. He was too good to carry on with us, a generation so so wicked, so froward, so perverse, so obstinate, so malicious, so hypocritical, so covetous, unclean, untrue, proud, and carnal. I will not go on to continue painting us in our true colors. All the world which never saw England, by hearing our misdeeds, will see England. God, by his plagues and vengeance, I fear, will paint us in our true colors and point us out. We have so mocked with God in his gospel that we will soon know it is no joking with him. We have long covered our covetousness and carnality under the cloak of his gospel so that all men will see our shame when he will take his gospel away and give it to a people that will bring out the fruits of it then we will appear as we are let his gospel continue with us he cannot for for we despise it condemn it and are filled with it we disdain his manna it is but a vile meat to us we would be again in Egypt and sit by the greasy flesh pots to eat again our garlic, onions, and leeks. Since God's gospel came among us, we say now, we were never full. So again, let us go and worship the Queen of Heaven. Children begin to gather sticks, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women make the cakes to offer to the queen of heaven and to provoke the Lord to anger. It is Paul and his fellows who make everything out of order. The gospel is now the outcast and cursed of the realm, and so are the preachers, outcasts with it. So that I say, God cannot let his gospel continue with us, but must take it away to do us some good. We will think for a time as the Sodomites thought when Lot departed from them, as the Old World thought when Noah went into his ark, as the Jerusalemites thought when the apostles went out. Then were they merry, then was all party when Moses was absent. Then they began to eat and drink and rose up again to play. Then was all peace. All was well, nothing wrong with any. But then the flood came suddenly and drowned them. God's wrath waxed hot against them. Then was happiness taken and mourning and woe came. Then there was crying out, wringing of hands, Rending them clothes, sobbing and sighing for the miseries out of which they could not escape. But oh, you mourners and weepers, you renderers of clothes, why are you mourning? What is the cause of your misery? The gospel is gone. God's word is little preached. You were not bothered by that. Noah's words didn't trouble you. Lot's departing didn't bother you. The apostles were gone, and did you care? What now is the cause of your miseries? Will you at length confess it, your sins? But now it is too late. God called upon you, and you would not hear him. So you yell and cry out now, for he will not hear you. You bowed your ears from hearing of God's law. So your prayer is rubbish. But to come again to us Englishmen, I fear that for our ungratefulness, for our impiety and wickedness, as God has taken away our king, so will he take away his gospel. Yes, many think we should have taken away, then all will be well. Well, if he takes that away for a time, maybe things will be quiet, but soon enough we will feel the punishment. Soon enough we will have at us as at Sodom, at Jerusalem and other places. And now he begins to brew such a storm. Oh Lord, will you be merciful to us? And in your anger, remember your mercy, Suffer yourself to hear me. Be reconciled to us, and please reconcile us to yourself. O oh, you God of justice, judge justly. O oh, you son of God, who comes to destroy the works of Satan. We have sinned. We have sinned, and so you are angry. Oh, n- be not angry forever. Give us peace, peace, peace in the Lord Set us to war against sin, against Satan, against our carnal desires, and give us the victory this way. This victory we obtain by faith. This faith is not without repentance. Help us, I say, in discerning true faith from false faith, lip faith, Englishman's faith, for else it springs out of true faith repentance if i truly possess it should be certain of true faith and so be assured of the victory over death hell and satan god's punishment which he has stirred up would relent god would restore us political peace right should be right and have right god's gospel should continue with us religion should be cherished superstition suppressed and so we should yet be something happy despite the great loss of our most gracious king all this would come to pass if repentance were present with us and if he be absent we may be certain that lady faith is absent and we cannot but be vanquished by the world the flesh and the devil and so will Satan's works prosper. So let us be repentant for ourselves privately and for the realm and the church publicly. Everyone should labor to stir up both themselves and others. This is all I can do, to put forth a sermon of repentance, which has been in my heart for a half a year at least. I fare you well in the Lord. This 12th of July, fifteen
2: there's one part towards the end of the sermon where he says repentance if it's true you should be like filled with faith you should know that satan hell nothing prevails against you true repentance really believing in what god has done and understanding what he has done for you on the cross takes away that doubt This is something I had not really thought about before, that the idea of repenting is also in some way related to our doubt, but it it really makes sense. Like, how can you really say you're repenting if you don't really believe Jesus Christ has forgiven you? He does that. He links that in my mind where it's like, no, if you don't believe Jesus has forgiven you, you're not fully repenting. You have to really believe this. Take it seriously. And if you want to see it change your life, those things have to be linked together. In a sense, repentance, faith, and belief, he sees them all as this kind of interlocking thing and that you you can't doubt what you're believing in if that repentance is to be real.
1: I like how he uses examples in history, and he talks a lot about the children of Egypt and how they, uh, you know, would turn their hearts away from God time and time again, and time and time again, God would take them back after they repented. Um, and he, I, he, in some way, it seems like he's he's you know comparing the Londoners uh, to the children of Israel on that day, and I, I think that that message is is timeless. Where we always drift from God and we always need to uh, come back to him and repent. Thank you for listening to this episode of Revive Thoughts. Today's episode was narrated by Anthony Avilas. If you enjoyed this episode on John Bradford, please visit our website, RevivedThoughts.com. There you can find transcripts
2: for this episode and all of the episodes at Revive Thoughts. We hope the life and story of John Bradford and this episode, this sermon, impacts you in a way that encourages you to live more fully for the gospel and helps you think more about history, the people that live before us, and how great and big the church is and all the characters in it. And if you're thinking about this, maybe share it with a friend, share it with someone you know, tell someone else about what we're doing here at Revive Thoughts, hoping to let others be encouraged and edified by it as well. You can do that by going to social media and sharing the episode on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you are able to share it. That would be fantastic. And while you're also there, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, be able to learn more information. We put out more information on each speaker throughout the week, so that's a great encouragement to you there. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts.
0: This episode is brought to you by the In Between Podcast, a podcast about marriage, parenting, faith, and everything in between.
1: On the In Between Podcast, you will hear how to raise children that change the world,
0: ideas to keep the romance alive with your spouse,
1: how to not hate your in-laws,
0: ways to save money for your next vacation,
1: and how to use the Enneagram in your relationships.
0: Join us, Daniel
1: and Christina M,
0: as we give you the tools to learn how to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family.
1: For more information, go to imbetween.org. That's imbetween.org. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.